Hello and welcome to Lost in Sci-Fi and Fantasy. I'm your host Leo, and today we're talking Mickey 7. This is going to overall be a bit of a difficult one to talk about, as it is a fairly new-ish book with a movie adaptation kind of around the corner. And you think, oh, you know, shouldn't this episode be closer to the movie adaptation? Technically, yes. But I started reading this shortly after I came home. Like after I finished, um, whatchamacallit, A Haunting in Venice slash Halloween Party. After I finished that, I started reading Mickey 7. So I figured I should probably, you know, do the book and have it fresh in my mind and not wait until the movie comes out, which the movie comes out, like, March, I think? I do plan on covering the movie when it comes out, but there's actually a lot of stuff around that time, so we'll see if I'm going to be able to get it immediately or not. It's going to be a, a complicated situation, and it's going to be fun. But the main reason that this is going to be complicated to talk about is that the book itself is kind of not super linear, I guess you could say. And we will kind of discuss it a little bit more in detail as we go on. I do want to start with the fact that because this story is kind of broken up into three different set uh, story sections, it's probably going to be best for me to cover them one section at a time instead of doing what the book does and jump back and forth constantly. What I'm going to do is get kind of do my final thoughts and recommendations at the beginning and then we'll kind of break down the story bit by bit from from then on. So the three sections that there are are the main story, the de- description that you get on the back of the book, which we will talk about in a section that we'll talk about in a second. Um, Mickey's background, so his personal history, and then the history of the overall setting, you know, the universe that we are in, how they got to this point, etc., etc. That that's a lot, to be honest. In fact, the portion of the back of the book story is probably the shortest section in the book. At least it's the one that has the least going on. Overall, I will say that this is a very interesting book and I would recommend you read it. Especially since, even if you listen to this entire episode, I am not going to be doing it justice. This book has a decent pacing to it, that since I'm going to be breaking the story into each individual section, it won't do it justice (laughs) in any way. So, yeah, I definitely recommend that if you are interested in this book, seek it out for yourself. And for those who are curious, let us go ahead and read the back of the book now, so that you can kind of get an idea of what the main part of the story is about. Mickey is an expendable, a disposable employee on a human expedition sent to colonize the ice world Niflheim. Whenever there's a mission that's too dangerous, even suicidal, the crew turns to Mickey. After one iteration dies, a new body is regenerated with most of his memories intact. On a routine scouting mission, Mickey 7 goes missing and is presumed dead. By the time he returns to the colony base, his fate has been sealed. There's a new clone, Mickey 8, reporting for expendable duties. The idea of duplicate expendables is universally loathed, and if caught, they face being recycled into protein feed. If caught, they face being recycled into protein to feed a hungry colony. Meanwhile, life on Niflheim is getting worse. The native species is growing curious about their new neighbors, which has Commander Marshall very afraid. 
Ultimately, the survival of both life forms will come down to Mickey Seven. That is, if he can just keep from dying for good. So that's the basic premise of the story, and seems that it's going to be the similar premise to the movie. That's another reason I decided to kind of separate the book and the movie out more, is that the movie does seem to be going in a slightly different direction. It has the same basic plot, but it seems that they're going for a bit more of a, a potential horror angle, at least based off of the teaser trailer I watched. It makes it seem like they're going a little bit more spooky. So, we'll have to see. Of course, the teaser trailer is just a camera spinning towards what I'm going to guess is the the tank. But, eh, we'll, again, we'll have to see. I'm very excited, and it does look interesting. And I, I would like to see how they tackle a lot of the elements from this book. Especially since, again, the book is not necessarily told one sequence after the other. It does a lot of jumping back. Of course, it's all told through Mickey, kind of, as if it's kind of what he's thinking while certain events are happening. But yeah, it does kind of break into three different sections. And there's different revelations and whatnot, hence the the backloading <laughs> that I'm doing. It's also going to be kind of complicated to overall discuss, because it's sci-fi. So there's going to be a bunch of silly kind of concepts, but there's also going to be a lot of uh, interesting things that I'm going to have to try to fully wrap my mind around while trying to explain it. It's going to be fun. <laughs> Anywho, with that said, uh, let's kind of go into, I guess, my very brief history with Mickey 7. So I heard that they were making a movie through, I believe, the Weekly Planet podcast, where you know it was mentioned that the director of... Parasite was going to be making this movie, and they talked about the general concept of the book. And I found it interesting. You know, it's one of those things where you hear it and you're like, oh, that sounds interesting. So the next time I went to the bookstore, I found it and I grabbed it. And it is fairly interesting. Uh, it took me a little while to actually start reading it, but eventually I like, started tucking in just a month or so ago, and it was good. <laughs> now, because of the fact that the main story is a relatively small slice of the book. It Getting from through the history and the background sections, while it can sometimes feel jarring to get back to the main story, it helps progress the book relatively fast. Like, at least for me, I found it very, you know, like all the background information very interesting and you want to find out more. So, you know, you're... You're going along and and seeking out getting to the main part of the story again. And it's overall good again. So again, I highly recommend that if you are interested, do check it out. There is actually a sequel book called Antimatter Blues. I'm very curious to see, since they've pretty much caught up on all of the backstory, while they can do some additional, uh, like universe building they don't necessarily have to and they don't have any if much uh, room to continue expanding mickey's backstory so you know going into the next book it should be almost purely plot and not background so i'm excited to see what that is like 
This book did start out life as a novella, according to the acknowledgments, and the author was encouraged to take it from being a depressing novella into a not-depressing novel. And you can kind of feel it, because the main story bit, while it has some humorous bit parts and whatnot, if that was what the book was before, extremely short, like... 50 to 100 pages, maybe. While the rest of the book is, like, now world-building history and whatnot. Yeah, with that said, let's go ahead and actually start breaking down each section. Now, I haven't fully decided yet where we're starting. <laughs> do we start with the main overall story... Or do we do the background and stuff? I think we should do the background and stuff first. Leave the main actual story uh, for a little bit later. Because th th I should be able to get through the background and stuff hopefully a little bit fast. But we'll see. So, let's start with the overall history of the setting. So, we are in a world or a universe where humanity is expanding away from Earth for a reason. They are following an event called the Diospora. Or Diospora, one of those. And it's basically to ensure humanity's survival by spreading it across the galaxy in order to pretty much make it to where it's very unlikely that there will be conflict that completely wipes out the human race. And to do this, they have been sending ships out, colonizing a planet, then that planet will eventually get enough resources and standing to build a ship of their own to send out and colonize another planet. So once there's a nice settlement and establishment on a planet, they go. Our main character, Mickey, is from Midgard, which is just one of many of these colonies out there. Now, the main event that kicked off the Diaspora was what they call the Bubble War. The Bubble War is a bit of a complicated one that basically... The discovery of antimatter, not just the discovery of it, but the ability to mass-produce antimatter, well, was ended up following the line of developing weapons of war. Because usually when an interesting new thing comes, comes up, um, we, we find a way to kill other people with it. So, with the antimatter... In order to make it stable, it has to be kept in, like, this bubble. And when the bubble pops, the antimatter goes out and mixes with normal matter and has a couple of different effects that it could have depending on the type of antimatter to where it's either a massive explosion that would potentially just completely wipe out the planet or you can have it be, if you have the right type of antimatter, a kind of localized thing that completely wipes out the population 
of a specific area all the way down to microorganisms completely gone or actually i think they, the book said down to viral so even smaller so completely gone and all you have to do is go in and clean out the bodies so after that uh, the bubble war ended up lasting about three weeks and then about 20 years after that the first colony ship well yeah the first colony ship was sent out to try and establish a, a the first colony to ensure that humanity would survive forming the Union. Now, a big thing under the Union was to pretty much shun Old Earth for using antimatter weapons and make sure that antimatter weapons were completely illegal going forward in the Union. So, they go out. I believe that first ship was a failure. But the next one was able to successfully colonize what they call Eden. So from Eden, they were able to start building society, got another one, and started, once again, further seeding the galaxy. But during this, the technology for cloning, or... In this case, well, we'll go ahead and call it cloning. Was able to rapidly advance. So they had had it for many, many, many years at that time. But they didn't know what exactly to do with it because it wasn't a very viable thing. Until one man made it viable. He made it to where the person was able to come back with their memories fully intact. Uh, as long as they scanned their brain and was able to be you know, kind of kick off the the use of expendables but he also was the one that caused the taboo of multiples to happen because after he had demonstrated that the technology worked he liquidated all of the assets fucked off to a planet of rich people, took it over with his multiples um, by feeding the people into the machine because a one-to-one -one conversion is a lot better than putting in like just raw materials in order to get a human. So just chuck a human in, get a human out kind of thing. So he converted the population of that planet into him. And when... Eden sent a ship to try and actually do some kind of combat with him. He saw them coming because they have like a full year of deceleration. So he just shot them out of the sky. But New Eden wasn't the only planet that saw the threat. So they shot what they called the bullet at him. It was an unmanned craft going at, I think they say 0.9, the speed of light. And since it was unmanned, it didn't need to stop, so it just took out the planet completely. And while normally the planet that shot that 
shot the bullet would have been, you know, shunned for having done that, because that planet was, you know, a nice, viable colonizing planet. They didn't uh, blame that planet, they blamed the guy who tried to take over the universe with himself. Anywho, fast forward, we're now at Midgar. Midgar is, has been prepping its, you know, colony mission to go to Niflheim. Uh, and this is when we meet, well, this is when technically in the history, Mickey Barnes enters the equation. He joins for one simple reason. He's got a lot of debt. And he cannot join in any capacity other than it being the expendable because he has kind of put all of his points into history. And history at this point in time has become a bit of a laughingstock joke or, you know, easy ride degree. So he's been kind of been coasting on social care where he gets a bit of an allowance and food so that he doesn't die and he gets a government supplied uh housing and he can perfectly live his entire life doing that but he got into a lot of debt when his friend who was joining this mission had re-entered the pong ball scene see he was a very talented pong baller but he had retired to kind of focus on other things but he decided that he wanted to get back into the game and win the championship and mickey decided to bet against him believing oh you know he's probably extremely rusty he'll probably lose but he won and every game after that he won, and Mickey bet against him every single time. So, he ended up in massive debt. And the person that owed him, that he owed money to, was willing to torture him to get the money back. And of course subsidize his social care, and force Mickey to work for him. Mickey didn't want to do that. So, he joins the expedition as it's expendable. At first, of course, they questioned why he would want to do that. They were thinking of just forcibly recruiting someone, like drafting someone to be the expendable, and usually when they do that, it's a prisoner or some other kind of, like, criminal or whatnot to, you know, do, do the business of being an expendable. Now, an expendable is a mission's... Um, well, as the back of the book says, kind of every man, if the job's too dangerous, they send him in. And on the journey from Midgar to to uh, Niflheim, we kind of get a good taste of well, what that actually means. Now, when he was training on the space station, he got, you know, the the basic rundown of what would be expected of him. And pretty much, I think it was 12 days or 12 weeks? One of those. It was a period of time 
like just a, a relatively short amount of time to be taught the philosophy of being an expendable and everything. And he had a whole final test where he had to show that he wasn't scared of dying. And, yeah. But, his first actual task as an expendable is when the ship, the Drakkar, gets hit by some minor space debris that rips open a hole in the uh, front of the ship and damages one of the the um, field uh, shield generators. So he must go in, replace the shield generator, and, well, he is not expected to survive because the room is flooded with radiation. He is has just enough time to upload his memory before he succumbs to radiation sickness. Then his next iteration must immediately go out and and fix the outside of the hull. He does so, but he is also exposed to some highly damaging particles, and instead of going in to die slowly, he pops his seals and um, opts for explosive decompression. Mickey 3 is then forced to watch that on video. And after that, the trip to Midgar is a much smoother one. But Midgar is not what they thought it would be. Now, sorry, not Midgar, Niflheim. <laughs> sorry. Niflheim is not what they expected it to be. Now, Midgar had observed Niflheim for like 30 years... But they ended up, like, the data was messed up, not quite uh, what they were expecting, but they sent, sent the thing anyway. The planet was supposed to be just at the edge of the Goldilocks zone, so maybe not quite as comfortable as, say, Earth, but should be comfortable enough. And it has a pretty much circular uh, orbit, and so it would stay within that Goldilocks zone the entire time. But when they get there, it's an ice ball. They contemplate going to their second secondary target, but decide to stick it out there instead. Then Mickey's 3, 4, and 5 all die while testing the atmosphere and, you know, checking being exposed pretty much to to the microbacteria and whatnot of the planet to see just how bad it would kill them all if they were to just expose themselves to it. And also to develop some kind of vaccine um, slash antibodies to, to make it to where they won't immediately die. So it takes Mickey's 3, 4, and 5 to do that. Then Mickey 6 goes dis uh, disappears on a scouting mission, and then we meet up with Mickey 7. So now we are into the main plot of the actual book. So Mickey 7, also while on a routine scouting mission, he falls down a hole. 
because he was looking at a monkey-shaped rock or whatever uh, up on like the ridge line, and he fell into a hole that he wasn't looking at. He tells his friend Berto and his girlfriend Nasha to just leave him. While Berto wasn't willing to save him, Nasha was, but Mickey wasn't willing to risk her life. But he was willing to risk Berto's. So, he tells them to leave him, that he's pretty much dead, so don't worry about him. But, while laying there, he decides, uh, and gets up. He, he had a sudden burst of will to live, and decided to get up and try to get out of the caves. He comes across a big creature, a big version of what they call the Creepers, which are these, like... The way I envisioned them was like albino centipedes, in my mind. But, yeah, so it takes him out of the cave system, and he's able to go back to the dome. But when he gets back, he finds that he's been replaced by Mickey 8, and now they are a multiple. And multiples are a taboo. So, he must figure out how both of them can survive. At first, they come to the conclusion that one of them must die and be put down what they call the corpse hole. The corpse hole is kind of what it sounds like, except for not. It's where they pretty much recycle everything. It's also called the cycler. <laughs> because what it does is it turn, it breaks everything down on the molecular level and then kind of reassembles it into a protein paste that uh, needs to be eaten. So it's kind of like a not-quite-as-gross Soylent from the, the movie Soylent Green. But yeah, Mickey Seven loses and is going to be put in headfirst to try to make it quick. And Mickey Eight can't go through with it. So they decide to split rations and try to split duties and whatnot, but Mickey 8 is also fresh out of the tube, so he has what they call tube funk. Where, you know, he's extremely hungry, extremely tired, and, you know, his head's a bit foggy. Especially since Mickey 7 has not uploaded in about six weeks. So, Mickey 8 is pretty much the same that Mickey 7 was when he first came out. We find out that the reason that Mickey 7 hadn't been uploading is because he's been having these weird dreams involving a caterpillar and a reverse campfire. So, so yeah, that's why he hasn't been uploading. He's felt that he was glitched or something. And we also... Like, he experiences other glitches as well as time goes on. But, because of 8's tank funk, 7, you know, takes the first two, like, duties. The first one being what they called a snipe hunt. That Because after, after Mickey came back, the creepers slightly attacked the dome, killing, dragging off one of the guards, and, you know, damaging a one of the entrances. So they had to pretty much 
vent that entrance and like burn it to kill the creepers and whatnot. So that entrance is no longer viable. So he's sent out with a team of security guards and a biologist in order to get one of the creepers. The biologist and two of the security guards go down, and Mickey and Cat, one of the other security guards, are able to retreat and kill one of the creepers, get its body, and get out before you know they, they get absolutely ripped apart. So, after that, Mickey and Cat end up going on a perimeter run. And on this perimeter check, they run into an issue where creepers start attacking. But Mickey experiences a glitch in which he's then seeing like a top-down-ish perspective of what's going on. And he sees like cartoon versions of himself. Now this isn't fully explained, but it's kind of explained, but also not. It's weird. But... But anywho, he ends up passing out, Cat saves him, and and he gets checked out at medical. Everything for is relatively fine for him, so it, it's all okay. He leaves, kind of putters around for a bit. Eventually, he ends up, um, while trying to hide from... Eight and his girlfriend Nasha, he hides in the gym, but ends up running into Cat again. She offers to let him stay in her room because she's been having trouble ever since the person that was her roommate died. So she's been having trouble actually sleeping. So they hang out for a bit, and it's heavily stressed in the book that nothing sexual happened. Just some light cuddling to give each other comfort. After that, she ends up running into Mickey 8, who forgot... I also forgot to mention that uh, Mickey 7, in the fall, damaged his wrist. That was the only major damage that he actually had, was that he like sprained or something his wrist. It, Basically, it's it's extremely bruised and purple the entire time, and he has it wrapped tightly. Uh, now, eight was initially, you know, going around with a wrap, but not super tight. So pretty much his hand keeps going from purple to fine, uh, back and forth. And Cat comes across him, and Mickey Eight isn't wearing the wrap, so she's like, "Oh, your wrist's all better." And at first, he's confused. And then he also told her that he was, you know, babysitting tomatoes the entire day. So, she then knows that something's up. She calls Mickey Seven to meet with her. He does, and he asks her if she's going to tell command. She says no. You know, she's like, oh, you saved me, then I saved you. So, you know, and I let you stay in my bed and everything. I'm not going to turn you in just like that. 
But then she also asked, started asking some questions about whether or not he actually feels immortal and whatnot. And he, he's like, I don't know. Because there's a whole thing going through the book about the ship of Theseus. You know, the, the classic philosophical question of if you took a thing and gradually replaced every part of it by the end... Is it still the same thing? The That's the very simplified version. The longer one is, you know, it depends on the version of it that you hear. It's either Theseus's ship, his granddad's ship, his dad's ship, or something like that. It, it gets mixed up every time you hear the ship of Theseus. Um, quandary. Basically, though, it, it is the... If you replace every part of a thing, is it still the same thing? And personally, the way I look at it is, to the object, possibly not, but to everyone else, pretty much, yeah. When you're slowly replacing every part of something, um, it be that new part becomes part of it. And then as time goes on, you know, it still has the full shape, form factor, and usage of it. There haven't been really any upgrades to it. It's just the same thing with new parts. But this time they add a bit of a new curveball to it of what if the ship of Theseus was completely destroyed and then re rebuilt? Would that then be still the ship of Theseus? And in the book, Mickey argues that no, it's kind of the ship of Theseus 2 kind of why they start numbering him but also I think that's what they were planning on doing anyway eh. <laughs> but yeah so so there's that he tries to clumsily explain that to her and she also ends up doing independent research on it and is like yeah you butchered that man and he's like well sorry like uh, it's one of those things where like you go into it thinking you understand it but when you actually go to explain it you realize you don't. <laughs> and she was like, come on, it's like the, the fundamental thing of you. You should understand it. And he's like, well, I mean, the whole point of it is just to get you thinking, really. <laughs> but, anywho, he goes back to his room to find the door locked. And when he goes in, he sees that Eight and Nasha have been getting busy. He gets a bit mad. But, um, yeah, long story short, they all end up having sex. So it's, he has a threesome with himself and his girlfriend. Um, and it, it's awkward, but he says that he doesn't regret a thing. So, hey, more power to him. But after they've done the deed and have been, I guess, just kind of cuddling for a bit, there's a knock at the door. And it's Cat. She comes in, sees what was going on, freaks out, runs off. Then, a little while later, the lock gets overridden and two security guards come in. Everyone's taken away and put into holding and whatnot, and it's kind of a question of whether or not all three of them are going to be recycled, or just the Mickeys. And then there's also the question of, if 
the two Mickeys are recycled, will a Mickey 9 be produced? The overall answer is... Well, what the Marshal wants is to pretty much cycle them all. Because he finds what Nasha did to be wholly disgusting. That's another thing that I forgot to mention. So, the commander and a good chunk of the population on in, in the base, in, under the dome, are what they call natalists. They are a religious organization that believe in the purity of the soul. That it, the soul, once your body dies, that's it. The soul cannot be transferred. So they find expendables to be abominations. Because after they die, pretty much what what is brought out of the tank is a soulless homunculus in their eyes. So, a whole bunch of taboo. There's also something that they call, like, corpse chasers, which are natalists that find um, the Expendables to be the ultimate taboo, and thus want a piece of that action. It's not something that comes up very often, it's just that he was obviously kind of targeted after he'd first died, and second died, and then after after that, um, you know, there, there's, it's just pretty much asking um, Nasha and Kat whether or not they're uh, corpse chasers, and both of them say no. But Nasha is very, very okay with the whole Mickey is two people thing. But anyway, let's go ahead and get through the rest of the story. It's not a whole lot. <laughs> so, they're taken to a holding area, which just is the security ready room. They wait there until the Mickeys are taken away, put into a storage closet. Then they're taken to the marshal, questioned. Then they're put into a prison, which no one on the base knew existed. <laughs> then after that, Mickey Seven is brought back to the marshal. The marshal asks him about the creepers, because after he interviewed Barnes, not Barnes, uh, Berto, it was obvious that Mickey had some interaction with the creepers. So, because they're looking at, there's potentially going to be a full-on war with the creepers. But, yeah, so... In the end, after 7 and 8 are taken to the corpse hole, it is revealed that, yes, Cat had turned them in. Now, it's not exactly explained when or why, but it is at least implied that after she saw him together with himself and uh, Nasha, they decided, or she decided to turn them in. That's kind of what's implied. But she also has volunteered to potentially be Mickey's replacement. Now, the Marshal gives them an ultimatum. If they both get recycled, Mickey's data will be scrubbed from the server and his blueprint deleted. That will be the end of Mickey, and Cat has volunteered to be his replacement. Otherwise, 
if they carry out a mission for the Marshal, he will see about potentially popping out a Mickey 9. That's pretty much the ultimatum that they're given. So, 7 and 8 are given antimatter bombs, or bubble bombs, and are sent into the tunnels where Mickey first fell to disperse the bombs and destroy it. Now, 7 is extremely hesitant about this and doesn't want to do it, but 8 seems a lot more willing. And so they decide to split up. They have a bit of a, a voice line open between them, talking, and then 8 comes across a nest. And he sends a picture, like a still picture, to, to Mickey, and then... He, he gets cut off, and one final picture gets sent through to Mickey of one of the creepers attacking. Then Mickey re-encounters the big creeper from the beginning of the book, who is talking to him. Now, there have been a couple of instances throughout the book where Mickey is getting a garbled message. And he's assuming that it's coming from Eight, while Eight sleeps, or whatever, that he's sleep messaging, and that's what he just kind of assumes is happening. But, it turns out that it was a creeper. The creeper, the main creeper, has gotten the ocular from Six. Because just before Seven and Eight went down into the tunnel, Seven asked Berto what happened to Six. And he's like, I told you, the creepers took him. And he's like, you told me that the creepers ate him. And he's like, no, you inferred the eating. They took him. Probably to do what we did to their thing. Like the specimen that we got. Dissect him. And yeah, that's pretty much what happened. So now the creepers have an ocular and are able to talk to Mickey through his chat. And it was able to learn how like what was going on with Mickey and learned the language through Mickey's like talking they had killed Mickey 8 and are asking Mickey 7 if he is the primary or an ancillary and Mickey responds saying yeah I'm the primary and he's like oh good I am primary too let's talk so they talk and then we Cut to the to Mickey returning to the dome with the antimatter bombs or bubble bombs on his back. And pretty much has a standoff with the dome, saying, Hey, we need to talk. Get out here. He tells Marshall that he you know, Mickey eight died. The creepers got a hold of the bubble bombs and he had to tell them what it was that they had and whatnot, or else they might accidentally rip it apart and destroy everything. And he, you know, explained to them how to use it and whatnot, you know, to make sure that they don't accidentally set it off. But they are theoretically at peace and everything's okay. And after a tense moment, the marshal concedes, lets Mickey back in, and whatnot, and Cat, who was sent out as like a security in case of an ambush, with Lucas, who is also one of the nicer security guys. Cat uh, runs over to Mickey, gives him a hug, 
apologizes and he's like, I, I understand, it's fine. But that wraps up nicely. He gets in and the final like little bit is the marshal asks Mickey to put the antimatter bomb back into the thing, but it has to be done manually from the inside, which would kill him. And the marshal says, you don't have to upload or anything beforehand or during or anything like that. You don't have to remember this. But because his last upload was, like, Mickey Six, technically, or potentially just after becoming Mickey Seven, uh, he would forget everything. And so, he says, no, I quit. You obviously had a plan for, for what you could do for power outside of the antimatter because you had a plan you're the one that took two out and we're ready to take all of it so if you need it put back in get someone else to do it or do it yourself or whatever i don't care <laughs> the marshal threatens to kill him but he says you can't because i'm the only diplomat that can talk to the creepers so fuck you <laughs> and the creepers so that gets the marshal off his back. And then it turns out that there is... There's a spring on Niflheim. The snow melts. Grass starts growing. Bushes start to pop up. And Mickey takes Nasha for a walk and shows that he, in fact, did not give the creepers the antimatter bomb. Because he's, he's not that dumb. He's not going to give it to them to where... And explain them what they had. Because there's a good chance that they would use it against them. Especially if they knew that we were there to completely wipe them out. So he's like, no, I did not tell them. He, he hid it away. And was keeping it as leverage. Because if he had returned both bombs to Marshall, he would have killed Mickey 7 and sent Mickey 9 down to finish the job and he wasn't going to have that happen but yeah so that that's pretty much where the book ends <laughs> some minor notes some some character motivations kind of shift a bit like cat for example she's introduced mm, i want to say like a quarter of the way to between a quarter and a half way through the book overall she's a pretty fun character the weird thing though is that her and Mickey seem to have a lot of chemistry together, even though Mickey definitely just wants to be with Nasha and whatnot. It, it, it's a weird situation and very awkward throughout. Um, but she goes from being curious about him because she's like, oh, you know, what have you been avoiding me? And the answer is kind of because he's been kind of avoiding everyone. They start to build a bit of a rapport and become friends, essentially. But... That friendship gets a little bit strained when he passes out during the perimeter sweep. She starts slightly avoiding him, potentially thinking him to potentially be a bit of a coward. And But when they meet up again in the gym, they, they're able to build a good, good rapport again. So much so that she's willing to let him sleep in her bed. Now, that part's actually a bit weird. So, 
as it stated, her roommate died, so she has an open bed. But when they got there, they decided to push push the beds together, and in the end, they just ended up in her bed anyway. Partially because, well, one, that was her bed to begin with, and two, he felt like it was a bit disrespectful to sleep in the dead person's bed. So it's like, why push the beds together anyway? Why did they push the beds together in the first place? It's weird. But, yeah. So th there's that. And then, again, immediately after that, she pretty much flips to being okay with killing him. It's, uh... But then she's also extremely regretful of it. It's very awkward and whatnot, but... Yeah. Then there is Nasha. Now, this book takes a lot of potential things and just kind of leaves them alone, which is good in a way, but also kind of bad because it... it I, something I kept saying while reading this book is that if the main plot was as detailed and thorough as the history and background sections of the book... This book could easily have been twice the length that it is. And it's only, like, 293 pages. So it's a, it's a relatively brisk read to begin with. So, you know, it, it's one of those things where you sit there and you're like, uh, I don't know. Do they add more? Do they not? But th this, is, this was a good background-y book. But a lot of the potential things that were being suggested was, you know, that maybe one of the Mickeys would kill the other for Nasha. That doesn't happen. Uh, that there would actually be some kind of conflict where Nasha found out? That doesn't really happen. Because by the time Mickey 7 catches 8 and Nasha together, which he had already assumed they had been together the night before, but when he actually sees them together... Uh, there's a brief moment of jealousy, of small discussion, but she's very cool with it, because Eight had already told her about it. When? Don't know. We're not privy to that information. And then they bone down. So, it's... <laughs> she was very okay with it. I, I must once again restate, which, again, more power to them. Uh, Berto is a bit of a dick the entire time. Uh, he he blatantly lied to Mickey's face about how he died. And that's what th makes him question what happened to Six. Then, let's see. I think that's that's really kind of it. Again, it's a relatively short story, and the main part of the story is also relatively short. What, there was actually some other potential conflicts that don't... Oh, well, him cheating on Nasha with Kat. Um, that doesn't really end up being a thing. I mean, it's kind of there, but not really. There's some minor discussions of it, but it just kind of is brushed... Brushed off. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's about it. Again, I do highly recommend this book. It is very good and interesting and... An interesting thing to read. It's, it's a bit more of a grounded sci-fi story. What I mean by that is that, you know, there's not this massive 
like alien intelligence kind of thing, like an alien empire or anything. It's more of a a mishmash between Ender's Game and the video game Soma. It's like a mash between those. And I found it quite interesting of a read. You might find some portions of it a bit frustrating to read like I did. Like, for example, he'll take like two steps in the main story and then go on a chapter-long spiel about some background history of a thing. That happens more than once. So, so yeah. This book is also actually shorter than it looks because it's one of those books that decided it want to it wanted to consistently have the chapter start on the left it's one of those books that decided it wanted to have the chapters consistently start on the right page so if a chapter ends on the right page the next page will be completely blank and then the following right page will be where the chapter begins so there's that so it's about 10 to 20 pages shorter than you might be expecting uh let's see oh yeah And the book heavily alludes to certain things potentially happening. Like, maybe the glitches that he's experiencing is a tumor that developed while he was hanging out as Seven. That maybe the glitches that he was experiencing um, was a tumor that kind of developed as he was hanging out as Seven. Because we're not explicitly told until later on in the book exactly how long it was between... Six and eight. Like, how long Seven was around. It turns out he was around for about six weeks. Which, you know, isn't terrible. But, uh, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, okay, yeah, you've been... But, at the very least, that was as long as it had been since he had uploaded as well. It's... It gets a little bit confusing at times. But, yeah, it, it starts setting up a bunch of potential conflicts, but doesn't actually pay them off. But that's also kind of fine because a lot of them were slightly cliche in in the type of conflict that they were. But I think with that, we can go ahead and start wrapping things up. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you guys liked this, feel free to give it a like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. Or, if you are listening on anything else, because it is available on many whatever Uh, podcast catcher you choose feel free to rate review share it with your friends i've been i believe i'm currently still uploading destroy all humans to the channel after that will again be boulders gate one and live streams should by this point fingers crossed actually have returned to being semi-stable Uh, Things will be a little bit shaky to begin with, as I'm going to be continuing to paint the turtle. But, with that said, that's about everything. So, once again, thank you guys so much for listening, and I will talk to you guys next week. Goodbye.